my son, you prepared for end of service. Okay, good. <laughs> you guys good? I'm very happy today. As you can tell. Welcome newcomers. I'm happy to see you. All right. iPad business. All right. You guys turn to Luke 4, 22. This has to be a two-parter because I have so many points. I can't finish them all. Luke 4, 22. And I mentioned this passage a couple of weeks ago, but I never finished all my points. So I'm just going to continue on some of them. Luke 4, 22 to 27, it said, this is when Jesus is in his hometown, Nazareth. And they were amazed. He was a celebrity. Somebody famous came into the town and they said, is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, hear yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came all over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many leopards in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And when they heard these things, they wanted to kill him, and so forth, and so forth. You guys know that. So I want to talk about why he chose this widow, and I probably will speak to it in the next couple of weeks, but particularly this Naaman dude, Second Kings 5, 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of this leprosy. So she's talking about Elijah. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, and the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send her a letter to the king of Israel. Notice that he listens to a slave girl. It's very important. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. All worth about, in uh, I don't want to go through the math with you, about $750,000 equivalent to our day. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, you know that I have sent, you, sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of this leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends words to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. So the king thought, 
doctor is impossible. I cannot cure this man. They just want to fight. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came to his, with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah the house. Many people must have come out from the streets to see this great parade of this great general with his horses and chariots and all the gold. And Elijah sent messages to him saying, go and wash in, the go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Notice that Naaman goes all the way to Elijah's house and he doesn't even come out. Naaman was angry and went away and saying, behold, I thought he would come, surely come out to see me. Do you know who I am? And stand and call upon the name of the Lord and do some kind of crazy magic and wave his hands over the, over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could not I wash in them and be clean? It is notorious that the rivers of Assyria, Syria were actually crystal clean. The Jordan was actually murky and muddy. So he turned and went away in rage, but his servant came near to him, said to him, My father, is it, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He he, has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Notice that this, the whole procession of this passage, there's always a resistance. It's pride. Humility got him to go. Humility got him to, uh, to the place where the king of Israel was. He humility just got him to the next place and next place. But at every moment, his breakthrough could have been stopped by his inability to humble himself. There is no limit to humility. Whenever you limit humility, you limit your breakthrough. Let me repeat that. Whenever, whenever you limit your ability to humble yourself, because the Bible says humble yourself, Whenever you put a limit on it, no, I can't do this. I can't listen to no slave girl. Do you know who I am? I can't listen to no little girl. Elijah doesn't even come out to me. Do you know who I am? I brought $750,000 worth of stuff. You don't even come out. You can't even greet me. You just send me a message. I have to go dip in the Jordan? Why couldn't I just do that at home? Why do you make me come here... There was another river in Syria. Are you crazy, man? See, there's a, he could have stopped at any moment because of his pride and his independence, he, knowing that he, thinking that he knows it all, or his inability to receive from some slave girl or listen to his servant. It could have limited his breakthrough and what God wanted to do. It's very, very important to understand that there's no limit to humility. If Jesus died on the cross and relegated himself to a mere criminal, there's no limit to humility. There's no point in your life where you say, no, that's too much. I can't do that. That's when you stop in your progression of what God wants to do in your life. Is anybody out there listening? Yes?
So what does humility look like? It looks like receiving help from a slave girl. That's what humility looks like. It, you know, the slave, it, you cannot determine who you receive from. You don't choose who you, I don't like that, I don't like that preacher. There's another guy who's better. You don't, you don't choose that. It's whoever is in front of you that God has placed the truth in their mouth. The, every person you receive from will be imperfect. <laughs> so it, it, it's, I just said something good. You guys are looking at me. <laughs> every person you receive from will be imperfect. You just choose for yourself what level of imperfection will, you're willing to tolerate. But if it's the truth, it's the truth. You don't determine whom you give love or you give truth. Neither. The slave girl was a slave girl. She was abducted by this general. I don't know if you understand the words coming out of <laughs> She was abducted. She's not like some voluntary, I need a part-time job. <laughs> She was taken from her home, used as a slave for his mistress, on top of that for other things. Do you know what I'm saying? This is not just a nice general. This is, we're talking about the enemy of Israel. It's the enemy of Israel. And a few years later, him and the king of Syria will besiege Israel and they'll go into a famine. You cannot determine whom God has released you to bless. You can't determine that. That's why Jonah got in big trouble because he decided for himself whom he's going to bless and not bless because he knew Nineveh would turn back and become Israel's enemy again. You cannot calculate who, should, who is worthy of being blessed and who is Worthy of receiving truth. You cannot calculate that. That guy's a little bit nicer. He was nice to me today. Maybe I should be more blessing to him. You do not determine that. Even to your greatest enemy, you're supposed to release blessing. Why is that important? Because the, the amount of, like, if you judge to the standard of, like, how you receive and give, then you yourself will be under that same judgment. I don't know if you understand. <laughs> it is so important to you to be generous because then you can be generous to yourself. If, you're, if you are able to bless your enemy, then surely you can bless yourself. And you can receive. If you put a standard of who deserves blessing and who and, and your inability to receive from people because I don't deserve it, you're living in a certain standard that's not God. That's very transactional. Grace is that God gives you what you don't deserve. So if you live your life in such a way, then you can receive fully and confidently. When people give me, like, buy me lunch and give me gifts, it's one of my love languages. <laughs> when, they, when they give me, I just receive it. I don't, I don't know, I don't deserve it. 
It's just false modesty and just it's false modesty. It's you're just fishing for compliments. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good. You're, you know what? That's just actually your pride manifesting. You're fishing for a more compliment. No, no, you are good. Sir. Oh, you were, that was great worship today. That was great worship today. It was, oh, it was all right. No, no, it was really good. It was okay. I could have practiced more. No, really, God used you. You're like fishing. Come on, come on. That's what you're doing. Really, the humble person will say, that was really good. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's humility. You guys, you receive from anyone. You give to anyone that God places in your path. I receive from, you know, when my daughter, she's right there. And when she was younger in elementary school, I, I am not a perfect father. Sometimes I get stressed out. And then, oh, so, I'm so sorry. You need to go to the inner transformation. <laughs> because I used to get, sometimes I would just take it out of my son. A little bit of a bully sometimes. What are you doing? What come you're not awake? Why didn't you brush your teeth? I'm sorry, Daddy. <laughs> Why are you always like that? Ah, and then he's like, tears. <laughs> just sit in the car, and I would drive him the five minutes to school, and then Isabel would be in the back, just gone. <laughs> and then Zach would walk to school like, you can see his back. He's like slumped. <laughs> and then she would come to the window, and she would knock on my window. And I would open the window, yes, and she goes, Daddy, I love you. But what you did today was not right. And she would say, now he's going to have a bad day. You didn't have to do that. You could have talked to him when you're calmer. But I love you, Daddy. And she would kiss me. And then it's like melts my heart. <laughs> and then she would walk back. Bye, Daddy. I love you. And then she would walk. And you know what? I felt, <laughs> I felt horrible all day. But I received from her. I didn't say like, who are you? You're just my daughter. Get out of here. I didn't tell you. I just said, whenever somebody speaks truth, it's truth. Sometimes homeless people speak truth, and I'm like, amen. <laughs> I don't care you're on drugs or something. Your mouth is speaking truth. Amen. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Do you understand? Even if somebody doesn't say it the right way, there's still truth in there. You just take it out. I remember one, one woman came up to me and said, um, I think God tells me you're not the greatest father. You need to work on it. And I went, oh. <laughs> how dare this woman? I am the pastor of this. You, who are you? You came here for the first time. First time. And I prayed about it, and the Lord said to me, the way she did it is wrong. And like the way she presented to you is like she put a diamond in a, in a pile of poo-poo. <laughs> but if you knew that the diamond was in there, would you try to get it? I was like, yes. <laughs> Is there any truth in what she's saying? Yes. You need to work on being a better father to reflect you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's humility. <sighs> humility looks like taking a simple bath. Humility looks like taking advice from a slave girl. Humility looks like taking a simple dip in the river. There's no limits to obedience. We do not determine the means through which God blesses us. 
Sometimes we want spectacular gestures. Zap from heaven. Manifestation of his spirit. All those things are good. But most of the time in my 50 years of life, and I've been a Christian since I was 13, do the math. It's 37 years as following Jesus. Most of my breakthrough happened through simple acts of obedience, consistently. Yes, I love the powerful, bam, lightning from him. I love those too. But rare and far in between. Most of the days, it's just simple obedience, and then breakthrough happens because I just obeyed. We want spectacular when God says, here's an ordinary. God uses an ordinary wooden cross to do extraordinary things for all of eternity. The simple, the cross where many people died on, that simple, ordinary cross became extraordinary through obedience. Graham Cook, one of my favorite authors, he says, supernatural realm is often quite ordinary. Just because something is ordinary doesn't mean that it's not God. And just because something is supernatural doesn't mean that it's a God either. That's why the, his servant said, hey, you came all the way here, dude. You brought all this stuff. Why don't you just do what the guy says, just dip in the river? Just, why don't you just do it? The word of God, just do it. Why don't you just do that? That's what the servant is saying in this passage. And it, God threw to him, Naaman. He's like complaining. He's such a whining general. He's like, why do I have to do this? How come you didn't come out? All right, fine, I'll do it. And then he gets healed. Sometimes even our obedience, we don't have to have always the best attitude, but just the action itself delivers. A lot of you guys are like, I don't feel good. I don't feel like praying. I have a bad attitude when I'm praying. A lot of times, it's not God understands your attitude needs work, but the obedience itself releases breakthrough. Come on, somebody. That was a good word. I don't know. I'm just blessing myself. You guys are old adults, I mean older and adults, and you guys understand the things of nature. And I remember when I was, my wife and I were trying really hard to have a baby, I thought it would be really quick. It took a year and a half. It took a long time for our first baby, and we lost the first baby. And then the second time, we only tried one time, and then Zachary came. So we we're like, it's up to the Lord. <laughs> I don't know. But the first time we were trying to have a baby, there was this, in seminary, there was this guy named Steve Long. He was doing his graduate degree. And then everybody knew he was kind of like prophetic. He would hear God say, I would try to get in like his path every time I <laughs> we're Steve Long. Oh, hi, Steve. Oh, my name is Steve, too. Wow, what a coincidence. Are you hearing anything from me? I didn't say that exactly, but I think my eyes... Please give me a word. Please give me a word. And I was so young. I was like 23 back then, 24. And then he said, hey, I saw you at a conference. How you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing all right. How are you, Steve? <laughs> Do you have anything for me? It's like, what, what's going on with you? Oh, I'm trying to have like a baby. It's been hard. It's really hard. 
it's taking the whole fun out of like trying to have a baby. It's like I'm not having fun at all. And you know what I said to me? I thought he, I thought he was gonna say, "Let me pray for you. Let me see what the Lord says." You know what he said to me? He goes, "Try harder. <laughs> Try harder." And I went, "What kind of a prophet is this guy?" <laughs> Walked away. He said, "Try harder." But I was walking away, and that word "try harder" like in my brain, and I started wearing boxing shorts. I started like doing all this. I started reading the reading all this biology as every, and I just said, "We gotta try harder, honey." And then we got pregnant the next month. Sometimes, the prophetic word is a simple word. I'm unhealthy. What is the word for me, Lord? Eat less. I'm not, I'm, I know I'm just joking. Not really. <laughs> I'm unhealthy. God, supernatural, heal me. He can do that, but he'll say exercise. We don't want ordinary because ordinary is boring. You know what's not boring? Extraordinary breakthrough through your ordinary ob- obedience. That's not boring. You know why you don't want ordinary? Because it's boring. And you don't get immediate results because you want immediate results like, like Jesus is like 7-Eleven. He's not McDonald's where you order. He's, we are consumers of Christianity. That's another pet peeve I have. You go and you demand. What are you demanding? I'm smiling. What do you, you de- I demand you give me a good word. I demand good worship. What are you demanding? God demands something of you, your life. That's the truth gospel. That's the truth, man. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm not giving you no fluff, this artificial, artificial sweetener, Christianity. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to pray fast and worship. I don't want to, who told you, who told me to do that? The Bible. God. Prayer of a righteous availeth much. Do not give up the habit of meeting together or you will shipwreck your faith. Not like your faith will go down a little bit and you'll be fine. As long as you come back after a year, online services is fine. No, the Bible is clear. Hebrew 10. Do not give up the habit of meeting together, not online. Face to face. Encouraging one another. Sharpening one another. In community. That's the design of the gospel. And the church. Do not give up doing that or you will shipwreck. Your, your ship will be wrecked and you will go down. It's simple. Simple. I came to church on a Sunday after I had surgery. Two days before. And preached. Why? Why did I do that? I could have easily, one of my assistants could preach. I said, no, no one's prepared. I have a word. I want to do a prophetic statement. There is no reason not to obey God. Do you understand? I know we're in the COVID season. Everyone's fear of death, fear of dying. I just want to let you know that's an unreasonable fear. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail. 
perfect love drives out all fear. We're going to have people who are a little bit sick, and then you're not going to come. I pray for a day. When we come and people are sniffling and coughing, it's okay. One day, we're going to be able to go through that. I used to preach when I was like, (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) I used to preach. (laughs) There is no, really, does it mean that? Does it mean really I have to pray and read the Bible? Yes. If you're not wanting to pray and read the Bible because you don't, it, you're so boring all the time, you really, you really even have, didn't really have a breakthrough in your life, no, or you don't know how to do it. If the Word of God is not enjoyable, you're not doing it right. Because really, did God send you the Word of God and it was the most boring thing in the, in the world? Why did God send me this? This is so boring. I'll rather read my biology textbook. It just means that you're not doing it right. Seven times dip in the river until you are complete. Seven means completely perfect. What does that mean? Why do you do it seven times? Do it until. It's a metaphor. You do what I tell you until. When is the until? When you die. You do it when it's perfect. There's no like, when do I finish praying? When, when, when can I stop praying? And you die. And even when you die, you never actually stop praying because you're communing and talking to God for all of eternity. Because we're consumers. We are deciding for ourselves what is good and what is not right. What is convenient for us. That's why the Naaman said, Syrian, the Naaman the general said, There was a river in Syria. Why did you make me come all the way here to this river? That river is more cleaner. He was trying to determine for himself what was right in his own eyes. When you do that, you're very close to heresy. I'm smiling. When you decide for yourself what is right, what is wrong, and you start to twist the word of God, you're becoming more more heretical. That's the definition of a cult, adding on to the gospel or taking something away from the gospel. I would say there's many, many Christians out there borderline on heresy because they have consumers and they're determining for themselves what they think is right, what they have to do, and what they don't have to do. They are the master of the Bible. The Bible, you are not the master of this book. Well, this compilation of many books. <laughs> you are not a master of this compilation. <laughs> this compilation is the master of you. It's on top of you. <laughs> You're balancing. You're balancing the word. Wow. You're balancing. <laughs> When the word, you are controlling the word, you walk around like this. It's my word. I can read it. I don't have to read it. Whatever. That's why the Jews had something on their foreheads. And they meditated continuously. Because they were under the subjugation of the word of God. That's why the Holy Spirit, the very embodiment of the word, the things that you read, the Holy Spirit draws out. The Holy Spirit is like a dove. 
It's not an eagle just hovering around going, Woo, I'm here with you. <laughs> Holy Spirit descends on you like a dove after baptism. So that when you walk around, you're always aware that the Holy Spirit is on your shoulder. Don't fly away. <laughs> Please be with me. I honor you. I go where you go. When the, when the bird is on you, you don't go, hey, what's up? Oh, fly away. Because <laughs> you are not in control. The, the bird is in control. The word is in control. You are not consumers. God is not a convenience store. Humility looks like coming from Syria to Israel to take a dip. Sometimes faith and humility looks like it's inconvenient. God's salvation is free, but it's not convenient. It's not convenient. That's what Jesus in Gethsemane said. Is there another way, Father? That is one of my favorite passages. He showed his humanity. That he actually laid down his divinity and as a human under the power of the Holy Spirit was obedient, like us, but perfect without sin. Is there another way? God said, no. He said, okay then, your will. It's not convenient. It's trouble. I don't want to, I don't want to sell your bill of goods like Christianity is easy, it's convenient. I want to let you know, when you become a Christian, your life is going to be inconvenient. Sometimes you're going to go against the grain. You're going to be weird, eccentric, out of self. You're going to be like, Who, what's, that, what's up with that guy? Why does he believe this way? And then that's the pat on your shoulder. Man, I'm weird. Man, it's inconvenient to actually do the things that God tells me to do because I believe by faith there's going to be a, a breakthrough. Obedience to God without a vision of a breakthrough is just legalism and imprisonment. That's why people are telling you to read the Bible and there's no vision of a breakthrough, then it's just you're just running on a treadmill with no going nowhere. Our faith, our salvation is free. Our breakthroughs, we got to work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As God wills in you to work that out. It's a partnership. Jesus is not a convenience store. Why is it? Why? Why is it called the convenience store? My friend had a convenience store. It's in the corner. Just walk down, get something, come out. Easy believerism. I want you to let you know salvation, of free, salvation for your life is free, but it costs something. The Son of God. And God has paid that for you. But all that he has for you work it out. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes doing what he says is inconvenient. But God, the Holy Spirit, 
will work it and will it in your life to actually do it. Amen? Okay, let's stand. I got so many more points, but next week, oh my goodness. How many of you guys actually pray regularly? <laughs> Great. How many of you guys do really?